available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com on the USC site, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Dave's trying to screw me up with the the, the cadence. I think I of succeeded. You I did. Think I succeeded. I won. You did win. I'm like I'm kind of frazzled today anyway. But uh we are the podcast of champions. Podcast of champions. You know, we cover the Pac-12 footballs, and uh that's what we're gonna talk about. Uh we had David in studio last week. Now we're both uh remotely doing the show again, but it should be good. We got a lot of questions, comments, we got some corrections, lots of stuff to get to. If you have any questions for us, you can drop us an email, pack12podcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to call or send us a text, you can do that too. The number is 424-532-0678. If you want to tweet at us, there was a lot of Twitter activity over the last week or so at Pac12Podcast and our website, pack12podcast.com, where you can find all of our old episodes. Uh, it's not called iTunes anymore, David. So if you want to go to uh, Apple Podcasts, I think it is, or Google Play, or Stitcher, or wherever you get consumed, the Podcast of Champions, leave us uh, a great review. A five-star rating is awesome. We appreciate all of that that you do. Uh, but yeah, I think they, they broke it up, David. It's like a, there, there's no more just iTunes. I think it's Apple Podcasts for all the podcasts now. That is totally a thing I would never notice or care about, but I appreciate that you are out there caring for all of us. <laughs> I try. Uh, I try to care. Do, do you know on the Apple Podcast if we have any more... Uh, we didn't really call out or call, ask for more reviews. Well, we sort we of got did. a bunch. We really did. Wow. We really did. Uh, should I read them? Sure. Like, are they all five stars? Like, is that good? Or We got nothing but five star reviews. So okay. that's great. Great yes. job, everyone. I think we read a bunch last time, but I think everything since 526 sounds new. Yes. I think we did our show on like 526 or 27 last week. Okay, so we got one from Clayne from Seattle, our friend Clayne. Oh. Uh, catching a falling dagger is the subject line. Uh, he says, been listening since 2015 and haven't missed an episode. As Larry Scott and the Pac-12 slowly melt down its champagne bottle into obscurity, the tall deadpan artist and the acerbic bearded one managed to keep me interested and entertained, even into the deepest doldrums of the offseason. Well done, gentlemen, or at least Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, Clayne. He's the one, he so. brought us the uh, those Pac-12 cupcakes. Yeah. Two years. yeah, yeah, that you that you ate all of. <laughs> well, you weren't here, right? <laughs> you ate one hundred percent of the cu- the cupcakes. <laughs> Am I lying? No, I'm not lying. I don't know if I ate the whole. I don't think I ate them all, but my my people ate them all or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it this, wasn't consumed was, by David people. It was mostly Ryan. Yeah, this people. was pre RPM, Ryan. This was this was back in the day of a lot of oh, cupcakes. Yeah, not that I stopped. Yeah, yeah, pre me trying to work out and stuff. Yes. Yeah. All right. This is from P Hancock seventeen. Subject line, you'll even look forward to their awkward ad reads about erectile dysfunction. <laughs> uh, to cap off last week's episode, David nicely summed up the podcast. It's very stupid. It's a really dumb way to run a podcast, but it's what we did from the beginning, and so now we're here, and we still do it. 
Beautiful. I, th- I mean, these are really good. Yeah, this one is long. Uh, Snowblind 40. Uh, subject line, the Christoph Bjorgman of sports podcasts. Who is Christoph Bjorgman? He's the lovable loser who gets the girl at the end of Frozen. She could probably could have done a whole lot better than a nice delivery man whose best friend is a moose. The only male, <laughs> the only main male Disney character who doesn't actually save the princess at the end of the movie. That is exactly what this podcast is. A couple of lovable losers who will never actually make much of an impact on conference they cover, nor will they actually produce the best content that covers this conference. See John Wilner for that. But somehow I still listen along with thousand other, thousands of other Pac-12 fans that could probably do better. The only organization that these guys are more competent than is the leadership of the Pac-12 conference itself. David being classic intelligent but lazy trope that will spew, spew information and statistics off the cuff as if he's been doing his homework, even though we all know he hasn't even looked at anything until about two minutes into the podcast once the intro music is fading. Ryan being the classic privileged USC alumni being propped up by the nepotism available to the USC graduates using his tall white privilege to appeal to a listener base that loves all that about him. Nice. Overall, I'm not disappointed on most weeks and learn about the John Wilner article I probably should have read instead of listening to this podcast. But like Dave, I'm lazy and this pops up on my feed every week. Helps me sleep on my weekly plane rides and they are starting to feel like good friends having a conversation at my favorite bar. Five out of seven would recommend. Nice. That sounds like our friend Shane. I'm going to guess that's our friend Shane. Who was that from? Who did it say? It said Snowblind 40. Snowblind 40. What do you think the weekly plane rides are for is it like his, his second family gotta be, a, somewhere got, else? gotta be a second family right yeah in i would the, think in second the colorado family. hills or like the you know maybe there's a better better uh you know mental facility somewhere else outside the city he lives in maybe a very to. very well organized and careful serial killer yeah like just flies <laughs> I, I just got to take care of it once a week just got to let off some steam and i fly to an entirely different state to do it you i mean if you really want to be a serial, serial killer that's the way to go like yeah, I mean, if they suspect you at some point, they can probably look up your flight records really easily, but you're probably not going to be on that initial suspect list, right? Right. I mean, it's just hard for the, the different departments to all communicate with each other. So, Look, we give out gems here. We yeah. give out gems to budding ser- serial killers. Like, if you want to get the job done, <laughs> ask us. We can give you advice. There was, right. a, there was a, I was, we were watching some documentary or something about, uh, there was like highway killers. So they would kill like prostitutes and stuff, but they would drive like, up, you know, across the country on different highways. And there was like no way the cops could figure it out. Like there, it just was so hard. I think maybe there's more communication now between different departments, but they were, they're so hard to do it. Like you're, first of all, you're getting people that aren't really like in the system, uh, you know, street workers and H- stuff. Have you ever tried to transfer medical records from like an <laughs> office to another office? Like no, from none of these systems talk to each other. No, from, come on. From like Manhattan beach, like Redondo beach. Like, no, yeah, they yeah. Could never like they could walk them over. No, no, yeah. no, no. no. Yeah. Um, it, that's what's, if I always remember that, uh, if you ever watched the, I think it was independence day, um, where the aliens are trying to attack and, uh, Jeff Goldblum or whatever his name is like, and Will Smith, like fly up to the alien craft and insert a virus into the alien computer. It's like, you can't get PCs and Macs to talk, but you can write <laughs> something to like interface with the alien computer. Like that doesn't make any sense. With like a floppy disk. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Here's, right, like a, here's a thumb one. drive. Do you get? Does this alien craft have a USB port? Like, yes, it does. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is from Listen McListener. Subject line: Can't talk crap. It's good. The down-to-earth hosts have good chemistry, although sometimes I'm not sure if they like each other or are talking crap to each other. 
But they are very informed about the Pac-12, and it's very, very entertaining for the entirety of its average two-hour playtime. I also like that they try to hang in there even though the offseason and in, uh, even through the offseason and entertain and answer literally all questions. Even the posters of questions gain notoriety from posters with a Biggie Tupac-style feud, literally the only two Stanford grads to listen, and some guy named Hithliday who could ask more yes-no, true-false questions here and there. I'd give a six star if the host discussed more Disney princesses. Keep up the five out of six star work, fellas. So that's the second joke about this being five out of seven. Okay. Yeah. All right. You guys have a theme. All right. Uh, Oregon Grown 68, best podcast titled Podcast of Champions. I think he meant podcast, um, which kind of diminished the joke. I'll say it in the, in the way he intended. Best podcast titled Podcast of Champions. Uh-huh. Um, as organs, as an OSU fan, I have low expectations, but we do get a mention once in a while. As a baseball school, I don't expect any championship love. This podcast is on par with the quality of Pac-12 officials. A must-listen if you have finished all other podcasts. <laughs> I listen while scrubbing the toilet, so it feels like synchronicity. Keep up the quality, and you may move up to tub scrubbing. Go Beavers. Nice. I love that. That's my favorite we, one. I mean, but I think Dave and I would love to talk more about Oregon State, like, if we knew anything about baseball, I guess they lost their coach, the you know the national championship they, winning baseball coach. But they also lost their ass in the regional. Yeah, what happened there? That was weird. I don't know. They lost some baseball games. Yeah, uh, yeah. but we would like to. Uh, just you know, we needed uh, Oregon State to win a, a conference game or two, and that would help. Yeah, two would uh, be great. Yeah, two, like more than one. Dude, I pumped Oregon State for a while last year. I was getting crap for it. I yes. was I was pumping them hard. Yeah, how'd that turn I out? I pumped them hard after a 77-31 to 31 loss to Ohio State. Don't come at me with this. That's Don't true. give me this. Well, yeah, I was mad about that game because they were trying to, like, they should have covered, and, and they Ohio State's, like, fourth string kept scoring points. And you're like, what is going on here? This is when, yep. you know, but it didn't work that way. And one final one, the guy under your bed, 665. <laughs> Pac-12 podcast, looking for a podcast that covers all things Pac-12 football? Me too. When you find one, let me know. <laughs> Keep up the great work, Ryan and Dave. <laughs> That's right. so good. That's good That's, stuff from our. Those listeners. are good people. Just a uh, little housekeeping. We actually did move um, providers, so we were with Audio Boom for quite a while, and love them. They've 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 always been great. But twenty four seven Sports uh, is doing like their own network of podcasts, and we'll be part of that. And hopefully, uh, if you're a fan of Oregon State, like maybe you're, you'll see our feed on Beaver Blitz, or uh, you know, if you're a Washington State fan or kookfan.com, any of the the Pac twelve sites for the twenty four seven Sports Network. It should be disseminated to those a little bit easier, but we're we're part of a company called Megaphone now. So I know some people might have got extra downloads on their, uh, you know, because it moved over feed. So sorry about that if that happened, but uh, it's just a little housekeeping that we moved, but it should help uh, as far as like reaching more Pac-12 fans. We're not that sorry. We're, we're not, not sorry, sorry at all if uh, if you're uh, if you downloaded us several times. Yeah. We're actually happy about it. We, <laughs> we it pumps our numbers. We want to get more downloads. Um. Yeah. Cool stuff. Is it, so trip back. Okay, Dave. Everything going all right? Or everything's great. Everything's great. I'm ready to rock and roll through this show. Nice. Um. We're we were gonna do our full on picks. Uh. Micah, our intern, uh, put together like a a spreadsheet sort of thing. We I want to tweak it a little bit, and we'll probably come back next week. So we just I want to make sure it's right, so we can I- insert everything, and we'll have. We'll keep track of all of our preseason picks and our postseason picks. So even when, you know, like week six, when you're talking about, you know, Oregon hosting, uh, you know, Washington State or whatever, uh, I don't know if that's week six or not, but whatever it is, 
we'll be able to say, oh, preseason, we picked this. And, you know, postseason, we picked that and who's right and who's wrong and all that kind of stuff. So I think that'll be kind of fun. So we'll, we're going to hold off on that one more week. Um, and we also, I've heard from 10 of the 12 schools about the top players in the Pac-12. Uh, we still are waiting on Oregon and Washington State. So if you're a fan of those sites, get on there and tell them, hey, you got to send in your, your picks. Uh, but we got a pretty good amount of people. And I think most of it kind of makes sense. Um, I don't know if you looked at the doc day, but there's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good indication of like where, you know, the different program, like different publishers uh, that cover these teams feel like the strengths of their teams are. Yeah, that's interesting. Also, which of them are maybe a little bit more homery than the other ones? Because oh, you asked you asked for who are the best players in the Pac-12. If you think any of your the guys that you on the team you cover are eligible for that, let me know. And I'm not naming names here, and I'm not going to name names later, but some people provided a lot of names <laughs> that I don't know. And some people were much more realistic. I will shout out uh, our, our Angie. I think was very realistic, and I, I thought I agreed with everything single thing she wrote. It's yeah. great. I think she only sent two players or something. Yeah, but that's why I agreed with it right. because it, it's it's Jamar Jefferson and Isaiah Hodgins, both yeah. of whom I think could make an All Pac-12 team. But anybody else on that team, I mean, we haven't seen it yet, so of course you wouldn't put them in there. And we might need more submissions. We might have to go a little deeper because, like right now, we only have two offensive guards, for example, and one of them I put. USC's Andrew Voorhees just because he has 20 starts and there wasn't anyone else, but I don't think he's, uh, you know, I, I, there have been questions if he's going to even continue starting. No, I, but I love this because it's actually a better assessment of what the depth of talent is at different positions. Like yeah. The Pac-12, very strong at running back. I mean, the, I, I, quibble about one name here or one name there, but there are five or six guys who are real dudes. Yeah. Like, real, real dudes. So, um, I think that's... I think it's valuable to look at it even from that angle and the fact that there were on a in a sport where the prime position is quarterback where everybody thinks that the quarterback is the key to everything only four teams have submitted names and obviously we haven't gotten um who have we gotten Oregon and Washington State Right so so Oregon will probably obviously submit Justin Herbert but still to have half or fewer of the Pac-12 schools that you know the people who cover these Pac-12 schools even submit the quarterback's name is one of the best players is that's telling, I think. Yeah. So if you like uh, Barry Bolton or on Twitter or something, tweet him like, Hey dude, submit your, uh, you know, put your, or, or, you know, uh, Kevin Wade, give him a tweet and say, why have you submitted your, your picks to the Pac-12 podcast yet? So yep. let them know. Um, should we go through some of the, the topics? Yes. Let's go through these topics. We have a lot of them again. We're going to, we're going to like, uh, our boy, Micah, this is kind of uh, spewing a lot of stuff here. So we're going to have him uh, edit. The little self-editing is going to have to happen with our topics because otherwise we're going to skip should over we lead off? Should we lead off with Vegas Bowl news? Yeah, let's do that. Because, okay, this is cool, actually. This is actually a positive step forward for the Pac-12. Um, starting in, what is it, 2020 through 2025? That's the current, that's what the next contract is going to be? I believe, yes. Uh the Pac-12 will start a relationship with the SEC and the Big Ten um, to schedule matchups in the Vegas Bowl, which will elevate it to, I think, the number three Pac-12 Bowl after Rose and Alamo. Um, so that's really cool. And I think ensuing with that is the Cheez-It Bowl is going to drop off, but also the Independence Bowl is going to be worked in in some way. Uh, but 
you know, quality of the opponent aside, because I think the SEC is going to be sending like its fifth or sixth best, while the Pac-12 is sending its third best. Um, I think it's great to have a matchup with the SEC school, and I think three of those years, um, regardless, just from a profile standpoint, even if you're, you know, the equivalent of like a Mississippi State this year or whatever, I think still that would have been a good matchup for what would have been Washington State this year. That would have been great. Yeah. I'm, I mean, just the opportunity to play an SEC school. Uh, I think John Wilner went over some of the, you know, scenarios that could have been like Mississippi State or whoever it you know, would have been. Um, you know, not ideal, I guess, as far as like, like you said, uh, the third best team playing maybe the fifth best team or something. But I, I think you just, you want to take that kind of opportunity to actually play an SEC team on the West Coast is, uh, is a really good thing. Yeah. And if it turns into a marquee enough matchup, or a marquee enough uh, time slot and all that kind of stuff, who knows? Maybe they'll renegotiate at some point, and the SEC will want to send a better school to it. You don't know. I mean, it, yeah. it could it could work out um, because I, I think there's a lot of potential, obviously, for Vegas in a lot of different areas to become kind of the – I mean, it already is even at its current level, like the Pac-12 tournament at the MGM or whatever. Um, but you add that stadium, the ability to host you know Final Fours and all that kind of junk in addition to – these kind of big games, Vegas Bowl, you know, the preseason or early non-conference matchups, all that kind of stuff. It'll, I mean, you know, if Vegas ends up being a premier spot for these things, then, you know, it might turn into an even higher profile bowl at some point. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I think the bowl news is pretty good. Um, curious to yeah, see. It's, it's, yeah. it's a good move. Yeah. It's a good move. Um, obviously, it's it's an accident of, um, you know, the Raiders moving there and everything <laughs> and, and, and the investment. But the fact that, you know, the Pac-12 gets to uh, get that windfall, that's fine. That's great. Yeah. Good good for the Pac-12, and it'll be fun to go to those games. And I thought I read something about the Los Angeles, like they would have a Los Angeles kind of bowl that would basically take the place of, like, the Las Vegas Bowl, um, you know, held at the Ram Stadium. That'd be kind of interesting, too, if they do that. I'd be interested to see if that one would maybe get elevated as well over time. Yeah. Because maybe it's a lack of a sponsor who's great. I don't know. Um, but... And it would be a new bowl, whereas the Vegas bowl, I think it would just be kind of moving that whole apparatus over to a new stadium. Um, so I think you've got to build in some goodwill and everything there before you create something entirely new. Yeah. Uh, what else we got here? Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Marvin Lewis got hired by Herm Edwards. So he's going to be an analyst right. for the football team. That's kind of interesting for for ASU. And uh, ASU also got uh, Clyde Thomas. Uh, he's a six foot nine. Uh, transfer from College of Southern Idaho. Uh, is that wait? Is that a is that a basketball or is that a is he a tackle? See these notes. I'm just not even sure about. So yeah. now I got to Google them. We got to do work here. This is the worst part. Is because our like natural anchorman tendencies really do come out where we're just like, hey, let's read this stuff. That's on oh, this he's a basketball because, like, player. What is it? Yeah. Wh- okay. Oh my god, dude. Okay, we're we're there's some editing. Mike, if you're listening, you're going to be edited. Um, oh, my God. We don't oh care about God. basketball transfers. No, <laughs> no. We don't care about basketball, let alone transfers. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So th- another kind of interesting note is that um, three former UCLA football players are suing Jim Mora, UCLA, some of the training staff. Um, I think former offensive line coach Adrian Clem. Uh, three. There are three offensive linemen: uh, Pawasi Moala, John Lope, uh, John Lopez, and um, and Zach Bateman. 
all of whom had their uh, uh, careers as football players cut short by injury, and all of them are claiming that UCLA mishandled um, their injuries. Uh, Lopez, I think, is claiming um, he suffered many concussions that were exacerbated by um, things that the staff did deliberately um, to cause him harm, um, and that he actually very sadly attempted suicide uh, due to um, due to the concussions. Um, whereas Moala and Bateman are both claiming, um, you know, significant mishandling of their respective injuries as well. I think both of them also had um, concussion-related issues. Uh, Moala and Lopez are both uh, claiming um, they're experiencing symptoms linked to CTE. So obviously all very serious stuff. Um, you know, Mora, when he was at UCLA, always, uh, and I don't know, I don't know how much went on behind the scenes, but um, always talked very seriously about concussions and very seriously about being very careful around head injuries. And, you know, he, he said that refrain so many different times. But it was always, you know, when it's a head or neck involved, you know, we just we, we leave it all to the doctors. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what comes out in this one. It'll be interesting to see if they end up settling uh, long before the discovery process, because I think um, it would be it would be an interesting insight into how a college football program that professes to handle this stuff seriously actually does. Um, and if that, if that, you know, if it is true that they've been handling it very seriously then that'll be interesting to find out as well, but um, should be interesting. Um, I can't imagine this is certainly not the first lawsuit against a college football program for handling of injuries. And uh, I think given the current climate, certainly not the last. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of that? The whole thing? Like, is it, is it real? Is it, uh, like, is this a real thing? Is it a real concern? Um, yeah, I do think it's a real concern. Um, some of the, some of the stuff that was alleged rang true to me. Some of it rang a little bit more false. Um, some of the things on the practice field rang somewhat true to me, like some of the things that were said to him. Um, I think they could, I, I just some of it like felt like, OK, I can remember seeing, you know, certain things like that on the football field. But the more serious allegations that, you know, they were throwing them out there when they weren't, you know, fully ready and all that kind of stuff. I think probably more likely it was um, the coaches being meathead football coaches and, you know, encouraging them to rub some dirt on it. But knowing the. UCLA bureaucracy and apparatus and, and medical apparatus. I have a hard time believe, believing that they were like clearing guys who weren't ready to be cleared. So it'll be really interesting. I'm, I'm really, if that one does go to any form of, um, of trial or discovery process, it'll be really interesting to see what uh, comes out. All right. Um, let's see. What else do we got? There was a, I guess Oregon, this was from John Canzano, uh, the Oregon lottery, they're going to have more mobile sports wagering, uh, for the start of the NFL season. So we could see more of that here on the West coast. Uh, I don't know we don't really have that in California yet. Um, anything like that, but what do you think about the more wagering on uh, sports like that? Like easily accessible. Uh, I have complicated feelings about gambling. Um, I think it's, probably very bad and it's something i willingly participate in at all given opportunities so um but it's it's bad i mean it is a compulsion for a lot of people and they will gamble away all of their money um and a lot of a lot of gambling does function in a certain way as as a little bit of a, a tax on the poor 
Mm-hmm. Um, the people more likely to gamble away their life savings are generally people who are on the poorer end of the spectrum because their life savings actually aren't that much. Um, so I, I have complex feelings on it. Um, I don't like the accessibility of, of re- readily available sports wagering. I'd prefer it kept to like a few different areas like it currently is. Um, but that's not the way of the world. It's going to continue to probably get more and more prevalent. And like I said, I, I, I do it all. So I can't really like claim some moral high ground, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a great thing to make it super easily accessible for everybody at all times. See, I always look like, and this is part of the state lottery system, which is interesting. Um, I always look at that. I'm sure it's going to be used as a revenue driver for whatever the lottery functions as in your respective state. Right. Uh, I just feel it's like, it's a tax if you're bad at math. Like the lottery is just horrible. The odds are just bad. Like, yeah, someone's got to win. Yeah, but you got to, but you got to factor in also like it's, it's who, who gets a lottery ticket? Like who's buying a lottery ticket? people who are like in deprivation and they're like trying to hold out some little bit of hope Uh. like and people who have compulsive addictions um and it's just it's it's preying on people who aren't making a mathematical decision um you know like you or i we might buy a lottery ticket when it gets up over whatever the amount is relative to the odds where it's actually a worth it bet right like when it's over 700 million you might buy a lottery ticket right because it's pot odds um but most people aren't making that calculation and they're doing it because it's a a compulsion it's something to give them a little bit of hope it's just it's kind of a it's a, it's an ugly thing and I, I you know I, I again as somebody who participates in the whole endeavor it's still not great you know there there's that small percentage of people who make a living off of sports wagering and then there's this the, the other percentage of people and this is probably the biggest percentage who are like doing it just as a casual thing but there's a sizable percentage of people who are not winning and doing it a lot and yeah how much should we have a role in protecting people from themselves yeah, I agree with that. But do we need to make it so easy to do these things? Yeah. That's where I kind of don't know. Dave's just trying to protect the people, you know? He's a protect- I'm a I'm a man of the people. Where I just say if you're dumb enough to do it, it's too bad. That's, you know, that's darwinism. That's life. We have we have uh we have we have we have succinctly outlined our life philosophies. <laughs> Choices, people. You have to have there's consequences. Um, I, I, you know, I wanted to watch this show with you. This is funny. Okay. So before we get into that yesterday, I did the pack to the uh, USC podcast and I started to bring up this documentary I watched called the bridge. Did we talk about that here? I can't remember where it came up, but it's, uh, a documentary about, uh, no, I heard, I think I heard it on another podcast. There's a documentary, uh, shot in like 2004 in San Francisco, the, the golden gate bridge in San Francisco is the most photographed uh, man-made object, you know, in the country, but it's also the, high, the highest rate of suicide in the world. Or, or it used to be, and now there's like a bridge in China or something that is. But so 2004, this crew spent a whole year filming the bridge so they could catch people jumping off the bridge. And the average about once every two weeks, somebody kills themselves and they interviewed the families and all this kind of stuff. It was a really interesting documentary. And I started to go off on this. And Keely, you know, my co-host, looking at me like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, yeah, this isn't the we, – we can't do – this isn't the podcast of champions uh, where you can just kind of go off on things like that. But we do. That's what we do here is we go off. That's all we do here. Yeah. All we do. Uh, and, and now I forget what I was – my tangent was going to be. What were we talking about? We were talking about um, people make dumb choices. Yes. You were saying that. And I was saying, well, well, what I would continue to say 
is that you know not everyone is operating with the same set of facts, same set of knowledge, and until you equalize that, you can't really you know can't really blame people for making not the same choices. Right. I, I think you did an excellent job trying to give me time to remember what my point was, and I f- still forgot it. So we're we're screwed. But it was just going to be some other. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, but I love that we can do those kind of tangents, and I'll probably think of it at some point, and I'll go, oh hey, remember what we were talking about before? Um, yeah. You know the the choices that people make. Uh, I think you have to you have you have to be held accountable, you know, for for these choices. I agree. Oh, I it, agree. But 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 okay. But, I remember it now. Okay. It was okay. It was the show. This was a show uh, called Life or Parole, and it was this is what I wanted to watch with you. It was uh, underage, so like fifteen year old, sixteen year old, seventeen year old kids that like murder somebody, and uh-huh. then it's like thirty years later, and they're trying to get paroled. And the, you have the victim side. They're like, you know, this is the mother of three. You know, she was the sole provider for all these kids. And now they're all in mental institutions. Like all these problems because of this murder that happened. But then you're like, he was 15 years old and he was uh, whatever. And so there's, it's like both sides of this thing. So I was I was curious where you would fall on that. Like, are you more leaning towards, hey, parole the kid. He was only 15 years old when he did this. Or... He ruined so all I, these people's lives. So a lot of what I've read about um, incarceration um, is – so most murders are done by young people, right? Um, a lot of it mainly because there's there's an argument that murder is more or less a, a time-of-life thing. I mean, obviously not for everyone, but for a certain percentage of the population who might be predisposed for committing a homicide – it's like a it's like a time of life. It's the, the a person who commits a murder at twenty almost certainly isn't going to commit that same thing at forty. Um, and so a lot of more progressive countries actually cap most sentences for most crimes at twenty years, um, or not a lot of, but some of the more progressive countries um, cap prison sentences for all but the most egregious offenses. Um, and by egregious, I mean people who have like a pathological impulse to commit murders or commit rapes or, you know, the serial rapists, the serial murderers, and those get sentences that roll over. Um, but the person that you're putting away at 15 for committing a murder is not the same person who's there 20 years later. Um, it's just, you, you, you to for lack of a better phrase, you grow out of it. So then it becomes, well, what is the point? Why are you actually putting them behind bars? Are you putting them behind bars as punishment or are you putting them behind bars as rehabilitation? If it's for rehabilitation, well, the job's probably done after 10 years, 15 years. I mean, that's a long time. That's a long percentage of your life where you are away from polite society. Now, on the other hand, if the if the whole point is punishment, well, then we're getting into a different thing. And we're getting into this, you know, what right do we have to punish for all this sorts of stuff? But if you want to make that argument, that's fine. If it's, if it's purely this is punishment for their crime committed – then, okay, I don't know if there's much efficacy in it besides a revenge factor, but yeah, okay. I, I mean, but I would, I would just make sure that that's the language you talk about it in. This is punishment. This is revenge for what they've done, not, you know, we're trying to rehabilitate them. Okay. Um, but I'm in favor of, of mostly lightening prison sentences generally. And yeah, I mean, for somebody who's been in prison for 30 years, I mean, that's a that's a long, long, long time. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. I've only watched a couple, and it's sort of like you get the, uh, you know, the the um, 
with the whatever the play, the perp. What's his, what? Whoever the uh, it's not the victim was the other guy. He's his point of view. Uh, the the perpetrator. Um, and they're saying all these things. And then you'd hear the the victim side and the family and how devastated they are still many many years later and how and even just having these hearings because there was a law that was passed I think in like 2012 where you can't be sentenced to life if you're under 18 years old. So just having this resentencing hearing or whatever like to come back up again, it's been it's just that has an impact on the victims' lives too. So it's crazy how just you could kind of see both sides of these things. Um, and what they're doing, but I, it doesn't seem but to be it, helping it, much it, of anybody. But it is truly like a, it's a philosophical thing. Like, is the point punishment? Is the point revenge? Because that's what you're doing when you're leaning on the victim side. And look, there's a certain amount of it where, yeah, if somebody commits a murder, you're not going to like just be like, oh, well, don't do that again. Yeah, yeah they, they need to be put away for a while um, or put into a situation where they're not given the opportunity to murder, whatever form that takes. Um, you can make an argument that our our criminal justice system, and many people have, is is flawed from the jump. But there's something you have to do to fix that. But I, what my problem is, is generally the causes of crime are pretty well known. Um, a lot of it has to do with poverty. A lot of it has to do with like you know living conditions and everything. Until we make a good, strong effort at that, giving handing out like life sentences to people who are committing, you know, robber or whatever murders or, and all these things, it's just. It's a little out of whack for me. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but I, th- I just thought of you because when you know you're you're like the other side of me. I'm like, oh, well, I'm I'm mostly leaning towards yeah, they killed somebody, let them rot in jail, and you know, and you always. But have, like, can I can I can I can I provide a, a something that might speak to you? Sure. That costs a lot of money. True. Like it costs way more money than like putting them on a farm. Like it costs a way more money. So you're suggesting shoot them? Okay, I mean that that I'm fine with that too, Dave. Well, <laughs> there's actually another argument that that's more humane. Um, but capital punishment in general is like ah, we could have a whole long yeah. POC after dark about this because it gets into some like weird uh, moral like complexities. Yeah, um, and it's just it's 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 a, it's a tough conversation because there is that revenge impulse that we all have that retribution thing that desire for you know punishment um but i mean what we learn about a lot of different areas of life is that that stuff doesn't work like it's yeah. not like those people get better they're and they end up becoming victims of crimes in prison yeah a lot of times and it's just well is this is this the society we want to create what's the society we want to create and work from there so you guys, you guys have to stop sending in these weird questions so we don't go off on these tan. <laughs> oh wait, this wasn't a question. It was just. Oh wait, this this was, this this had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> this was talking about gambling or what were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about sports wagering and yes. we ended up on uh, the flaws in the criminal justice and system. jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. So uh, cool. I just brought that up because it was so weird when I brought it up on that podcast and and Keely's looking at me like that's morbid, like that's all, and I'm like, oh, David would like when I was talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> like so my good. other podcast i'd be fine um we'd get a positive review on that so hey I, speaking speaking of your other podcast yes um so you guys are going to get another uh weirdo bounce back who like bounced between like four different schools and is going to end up at usc how do you feel yeah so this has been strange i was telling people this if uh, usc was a uh like a stock uh i'd say like mid-january would be like the 52 week low because like, oh, the 
strength and conditioning coach left and the offensive coordinator who was like the savior of the program, Cliff Kingsbury gets hired at, at the Arizona, you know, Cardinals to be their head coach, which was baffling. And Oh, Brew McCoy, the highest rated recruit on your board that, that you signed and is enrolled in school, going to school. He's taking classes at USC. You think you got him locked down? He says, peace out. I'm going to Texas. So that would be the low, but I think, as of like a today or some you know day in the near future when these are official, it's probably like the 52-week high because you consider the season was pretty terrible. Um, so we talked about Brew McCoy last week. Uh, he hasn't officially picked USC, but he's in the transfer portal. He's you know he'll end up there. He visited there and stuff. Uh, they got uh, Valus Jones back, who was in the transfer portal. So another wide receiver. They kind of needed spots there. And then as Dave mentioned, uh, Chris Steele, who was a he committed apparently to seven different schools during his high school recruitment, some of them silently, uh, but you know, for a long time was committed to USC, ends up signing with Florida. So another guy that left the Pac-12 footprint uh, goes through spring football in Florida. He's a four-star um, cornerback, might play safety in college, uh, but he wants to play corner from St. John Bosco. He's at Florida, goes through spring football. He apparently asked for uh, the the coaches to like not have him live with his roommate because his roommate was like sexually assaulting people and stuff. And according to them, he you know they didn't do anything about it. He's transferring out. Announced he's going to go to Oregon soon after. You know we we talked about this and and Oregon's all excited. I think he signed some financial aid paperwork, but nothing that was binding. And now it appears uh, it looks like you know it's, it's, several people have reported this, but he hasn't signed officially that he's going to. Uh, sign with USC and most likely, unlike Brew McCoy, most likely would be eligible to play right away. So uh, certainly some good things have happened in this offseason for USC after all these bad things that happened in January. Well, I think both players um, will do interesting things at USC. Um, I, what do you anticipate when a guy bounces around like that? And obviously Chris Steele had some other circumstances, um, clearly, that made him want to get out of his situation but when they like kind of bounce around like that like after like even signing day has happened does that give you pause about them as like you know potential contributors down the line i mean they're both former i mean chris Steele was a five star at one i think he was yeah um but both of these guys are former five stars or four star current in chris Steele's case uh does it give you any more pause about them as potential prospects i mean it has to give you some um but it just almost seems like this is like the environment that we're living in now now if you're that highly rated of a prospect i don't think the transfer portal itself is that big of a deal it's really for the guys that are just like you know middle of the road guys and it, it allows other schools to know oh hey uh you know Washington, uh, a safety for Washington is in the transfer portal. Like, oh, he started six games, but he's available. We need a safety, and he's a graduate. Like, it, it allows – it's kind of marketing for guys that maybe aren't as well-known, and they can be contacted. And, you know, maybe there's programs that they didn't even know would need that position. Um, but for, like, a guy like Bruce McCoy, everyone knows who he is. So if he's going to transfer, everyone's going to be after him. And same with Chris Steele. But I just think that's sort of the environment we're in now, David, and signing – enrolling like does that really if that doesn't matter like what is i I don't know where it's going to stop um i think the ncaa probably needs to tweak some of these rules especially with the eligibility rules uh but chris still seems like he has a legit thing where if you're talking about hey i left florida because this you know my roommate was sexually assaulting people and 
I asked to be away from him and they didn't grant that. I mean, I think that's something that they would listen to. Um, but you know, for like a Brew McCoy, you've transferred twice. Uh, you've, you've been at two different colleges already. And the, the guys that you're graduating high school with, like going to their prom, they haven't, you know, it's, it's very strange. So I, I don't know. I, I guess it would have to give you some kind of pause, but it just seems like that's where we're headed now where any decision can be reversed. If you, if you made a, if you made like a, a, long-term decision for short-term reasons, um, you can kind of reverse it. And, uh, and and this is kind of what we're seeing. Yep. All right. I don't know. Uh, anything else? No, I think that's it for our notes. Uh, Mikhail Ono, a graduate transfer safety from SMU, is going to Colorado. Okay. So there's some more stuff. Um, I'm curious to see. I think the transfer portal stuff is going to start winding down. I think there'll be more. But then once there's not spots open. Where do we go? Like what happens at that point? Do guys, do a lot of guys end up coming back to the schools that they, a lot of guys already have. Yeah. A lot of guys have drifted back to the school. They uh, attempted to transfer out of. I think it's, it's going to be interesting to the, the dynamics of guys who have, you know, attempted that and then didn't, um, you know, when they get interviewed during fall camp or whatever, how, what, what the conversation is like and what they, uh, you know, how they did they have to win back the trust of the coaches and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, well, should we jump into some questions? Questions. Yeah. Um, I think Let's we start with um, the statements about how wrong we were. That's from Andy. Yeah, this is from what's well, from Philip. Oh, Andy Ludwig. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. From, from uh, Andy. see, I'm wrong again. Yeah. Utah is not paying Andy Ludwig 2.5 million per year. His 3-year contract is worth 2.5 million, which means it is closer to 800,000 per year. You are correct, Philip. Um this was uh, an error uh, where we read something in our document that was untrue. Yes. Um but you we, know we were blaming yes, 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 you're hearing that correctly. We are blaming the help. <laughs> Blame the intern. Um, but you don't really care much about money anyway, so that didn't matter. I probably wouldn't. I, that struck me as a little crazier. For you, it's like, ah, money, it doesn't matter. Money, yeah, they threw it around. Woo! Nice. Um, yeah, we had a few people comment on that, so apologies. Um, still a big, it's still, you know, he's still like the highest paid assistant like Utah's had, uh, I believe. So um, significant payment, but not two and a half million dollars a year, which is like Brett Venables for Clemson defensive coordinator money. Um or Dave Aranda at LSU kind of money. That's that's not what uh, Utah's dishing out. No. Uh, this one's from Rod. It's Pac-12 Finances. Hey, guys. I wanted to make a quick comment on the money difference between the Pac-12 and the other conferences based on your conversation from a podcast or two ago. And by the way, I hope I can keep this short because some of the real long emails you get are a little too much. This one's not short. It's just looking down. I, I think uh, you have too many engineers listening or something with all those crazy numbers. A lot of times pretty boring uh, that, that you guys somehow make it somewhat interesting. All right. Well, thanks. We try. Uh, Dave made the comment that uh, the money isn't as big of a deal because at some point, uh, what would you do with it? You guys are way smarter than I am on this and have studied it more than I have, but I'm having a hard time understanding that i recently read just diminishing returns diminishing returns yeah. i I'm, I'm more on rod's side than david's side i think the money matters but you know dave dave's more yeah of a, i mean a, a lot of people don't know the law of diminishing returns it's fine right that's fine uh i recently read an article in the athletic uh from christian cable who interviewed 
Jen Cohen, the athletic director of the Washington Huskies, about Washington's financial picture. Might be worth a look if you haven't read it already. He actually interviewed her twice now that I look. Uh, once on April 15th and one time on May 9th. Both have financial parts to it. Uh, let's see. So he said, I won't get into all the numbers like some of your listeners would, but they are in the article to read. Dave mentioned most schools have upgraded their facilities already, but the article mentions that they still have loans that have to be paid for years to come. I know the Huskies have talked about upgrading significantly uh, facilities for basketball as well. There was one sentence in there I thought was telling, quote, the department still considers financial stability a daily struggle. And this is Washington, not Oregon State or Washington State, who struggled considerably more, I'm sure. Not sure how many words this is, but probably too many. Sorry from Rod. Uh, no, I I agree. I think there's some good points there. I mean, I we just had a question about USC adding uh, softball. Congrats to uh, UCLA women, another national championship there. They want the women's softball. But there's so much talent in Southern California, uh, and a lot of USC fans would love to see USC get a softball team. And I remember talking to then-athletic director Pat Hayden about that back in the day. And one of the things we thought was a problem was because you have this really nice baseball field, you can't have like a crappy softball field. You have to have like something similar size and all that kind of stuff. Um, he, that wasn't even on his mind. It was more every sport you had, it's like another million dollars a year. So, I mean, having an extra $5 million a year, you might add even more sports and sports that the Pac-12 is good at more national championships. So I, I think there's a lot of, I know you're talking about diminishing returns, but I think there's a lot of ways this money can be used and it might not just hurt the big programs that might hurt other smaller programs too. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for some schools it's easy to add. I, I don't know how, how str so for like UCLA, I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to be adding sports at any point in the future due to like title nine stuff. Um, so I don't know um, for like the big publics, if that's ever going to happen. Um, add a bunch of sports. I mean, maybe USC has a little bit more freedom. I'm, I'm not familiar with the laws, um, but that seems really minor. Um, I, I mean, I think when we're talking about it, we're talking about the effects on the actual program that's producing the revenue. And I, I don't, I, again, I, I'm not like disputing the fact that there's a, uh, there's a problem there. I'm just saying being, being a certain number of millions of dollars down isn't really the problem until it actually becomes until it actually becomes a thing where a West Coast-based coach is getting bought by some school out of region when he otherwise would have stayed on the West Coast simply because they can pay him two times as much or three times yeah. as much or whatever it is. And we're not seeing that yet. Until we start seeing that, I don't think this is a catastrophe. I think it's a problem to obviously deal with and hopefully get that gap as small as the actual realities of geography and college football interest and college basketball interest make that gap um, because that gap is always going to be there. But making it as small as possible is obviously the ideal. But the, I think the point at which the yawning gap gets to be so much that they're literally buying coaches and just bringing them out there um, and taking them away from Pac-12 schools is still a fair bit away. Um, that's my theory anyway. Okay. Uh, we, we'll see how it plays out. To me, it just seems like it's it's happening. Like where this is a Ferrari going on the 405 at 100 miles an hour. You're like, yeah, until it crashes, you're probably fine. <laughs> but, you're, 
but you're right. You're there exactly. <laughs> but you're probably gonna... and until there, you're having a ton of fun. You're driving a Ferrari. It's great. So until this, until this horrible thing happens, you're probably fine. But then when it happens, and you're like, oh crap, that is a problem. But you knew it was a problem already. It just you're waiting for it to happen. Well, no, it just doesn't matter one way or another. We're, I mean, we're we're fiddling on the deck of the Titanic here. Yeah. All right. It doesn't matter. Um, all right. This is from our man Rusty. So I, I'm curious. Th- yeah, I'm curious to what you think about this because he's making a pretty good case that he is not Hitler Day, like you insinuate. <clears throat> Hitler for the day and the quote Aggie squeeze at Oregon and Washington State. Howdy, boys. No, I'm not the alter ego of that Hitler for the day, feller. But my compliments to David for reading my email with the same countrified drawl that I use when attempting to communicate with the University of Oregon fans. Uh, Speaking of duck fans, I am writing to ask you about a bizarre cultural practice that you and your listeners can instantly verify by Googling the search phrase, Aggie Squeeze. Pause a moment and do it now. I did it already, yeah. I haven't, so I'm going to It's a little disturbing. To be, to be <clears> fair. <throat> but I, all of our it's, listeners, you can do that as well. Unless you're driving, oh. don't do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. I've got it. As you will note, to support their team at crucial moments of a game, male fans at Texas A&M squeeze their testicles. I've been told that vigorous testicle squeezing continues to be one of the proud traditions of Oregon fans, especially at tailgate parties and in the stands at Austin Stadium. I've also been told that the practice has now spread to Washington State, but with the twist that in Pullman, it is the wives and girlfriends, not the male fans themselves, who apply the Aggie squeeze while tailgating or at crucial moments of games. Any truth to what I've been told? By the way, I made the mistake of showing the Aggie squeeze to my wife. Unfortunately, she now uses it to her advantage when I do stupid things like not putting down the toilet seat or not acknowledging her feelings. Gotta say, it's not fun, with the worst part being that my voice is now two octaves higher than it used to be. Damn it. Your pal and falsetto on the range, Rusty. Rusty. Okay, so is this a he doth protest too much? Or is this well? Uh, it's either he does protest too much, or a very, very, very um, disguised Washington fan. And by disguised, I mean not at all. Okay. What do you think? Because he's he's throwing some shade, obviously, here at Oregon and Washington. But State. is it like, is it the guy that you know I was brutally attacked, but it, he really stabbed himself? And yes, see, that's where I don't know, right? Yeah. Rusty, we're gonna need some bona fides, some bona fides in the proper Latin. Um, how, how can we get him to verify himself? How do we get? We need Hithla Day to provide some like some. I don't know. We really need them to both call in. That's what it is. Oh yeah, we need Leave each us... of them to call in with right. a voicemail. Yes. Uh, All right. That, that... You've been challenged, Rusty. <laughs> You've been challenged, Hithla Day. Let's see it. <laughs> Aggie squeeze. That's just like ugh. That's not good. It's not good. No. Uh, we have Kevin wrote in star ratings and chores. Okay, so reaching back to your chore topic, my least favorite chore is dusting. I now have an understanding with dust. It doesn't bother me, so I don't bother it. <laughs> dusting, but like I got this cool little like feather duster, kind of, not feather duster, but it's like a little thing. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's like a flat with a lot of... Uh, my, I don't have words today. <laughs> but so you dress up, you dress up in a French maid costume, yes. and it's uh, you dust. But it's it's not a feather duster, but it's sort of like it has this attraction to it. And it's flat, and you can like I use it in my office. It's like dust, like it's really easy to do. Like I, you know, you don't need to be 
Kevin, you don't need to be surrounded in dust. You can just, you, know, you don't need to pull out the pledge and an old rag. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I remember doing that, but now you got these things, you just like wipe it, wipe it off and it's fine. Uh, Tell me something, Ryan. I got a question for sure. you. Sure. Do you call all small cloths uh, rags? Uh, no, I would say there are washcloths. Like I would say for my, like I use one in the shower, so that's a washcloth or you wash your face or whatever. Um, uh, I would cut like hand towels or just more like the smaller towels that I would put in the bathroom. Uh, my mom would always call them tea towels, like the kitchen towels. Got it. Um, and then, but I wouldn't call any of those things rags. Like, but once they, they get a little old and there's, there's no more tea left in that towel, then it, it goes in the, the garage and it becomes a, a rag. Got it. Okay. So you make a clear distinction between the two. I do. What do you not? No, so I grew up, um, I, I, and I, I don't know if this is mother from New York or dad from who knows where, um, but I call them all rags. Washcloths are rags. Really? Um, all of it, it's all rags. Rags all the way down. It's rags forever. Huh. Um, and I was shamed um, <laughs> for that, but I call them all rags. So I'm interested to hear if there's anyone else out there who also calls them all rags. Or at one time did and then was also shamed into calling things, quote, washcloths. Oh. I want to hear about this. Okay. Yeah, no, I I don't think I've heard that before. But I would probably shame you. Like if we were at a domestic relationship, I would like, David, that's not a rag. That's a washcloth. Yeah. And I don't like obviously words mean things. And and we all know what a (laughs) rag is. Like it's a piece of cloth that you use to clean things up. So why can't that be used on your body? Why do we need to dress up the language to describe something that is just what it is? It's the same thing. You said it yourself. A dirty washcloth is simply a rag that you use in, now you use in the garage. Yeah, I just don't like if if I want to put soap and wash my face, I, I just don't want to do it with a rag. I'd rather do it with a washcloth. Well, so you're, you're making a semantic argument about what you put on your face. You're mm-hmm. saying, I don't want to call it a rag. Yes. I want Isn't to that what we're talking about, what else. we call things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but you're just saying like it's not something different. It's the same thing. It's just you're you you want to dress it up, and I get it. I added I something to my rotation in the bathroom, uh, like a loofah on a stick sort of thing, like to to clean your own back. It's pretty good. I like I I've added that in now. I was like washcloth man all the way, uh, but now I did one of those. I don't know. Just, the loofah is pretty good. Loofah is yeah, not bad. Yeah, the little hand ones. I don't really have much use for that. Like that's the wives and stuff. But I the one with you, the stick. You, you can't get everywhere you need. Yeah, with, uh, with the one for but hand. to wash the yeah. middle of my back with like a loofah thing on a stick, that's pretty good. I like pretty it. great, pretty great. Um, but I, I'm I'm more of a bar soap guy, uh, but I do have like a pump like body wash thing that I use for that because you know you want something to put put it right on the uh, loofah. But I still do bar soap for everything else. So I don't know. Yeah, are you a bar and soap you person? Rub, you can rub some bar soap on a loofah. It's not the end of the world. It could, it's yeah, not great. You got to suds it up a little bit. Right, but it works. But I, I'm 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 using that for that. Okay. We many rabbit holes we've gone down. Okay, so star ratings for football. How many five star players are there in any given year? Um, so thirty two for twenty four seven sports because that's how many first round draft picks there are. So they do thirty two. And is there a talent bar? They have to reach it, uh, reach or is it a top X number of players? So yeah, the top thirty two. And then same for four star and three star ratings. Um, typically, I think there, there's about. There's 32 five stars, and I think they do around 250 or so. Like most of the top 24-7, I think, are four stars. And then after that, it's three stars. But if there's like a, you know, like if the 250th ranked player 
they feel as a four star, they'll make them a four star. I, I, I don't think there's a set number for four stars. I wish they wouldn't do it for five stars either. Um, I, I, there was more of a, I want to say when it, uh, the way they used to do it was more of a sliding scale where it was like some years there'd be like 30, some years there'd be 40 and it kind of, some were like 25 class. or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that felt that, that feels like it's better in two respects. One, um, it gives the the scouts a little bit more freedom to like think about things and, and do it in a way that feels organic. And two, I think that's probably going to end up looking more accurate because what you've ended up with over the years and even in some years before 247, guys ended up five stars who I remember at the time everyone was like, I don't know about him being a five star, but we have to have a certain number. Um, and I don't. I don't know if that's the, if that's the right way to go because um, yeah. there might be some years where there's just there's not that guy you know there's not there's maybe ten five stars and then the rest of them are four stars or whatever but um, I think that would allow it to be more of a, a set standard but no there are there's a defined number of five stars every year and then the other ones are more of a of a you know that can slide around a little bit. And he said, and then how about basketball? Any idea? I have no clue. Do you have any? Oh, I wish I did, but. UCLA hasn't been good at basketball in a long time, so I stopped paying attention to these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, I don't think they would have. Maybe the, it's the same argument as with football. So maybe it's the number of people in the rounds of the NBA draft. Yeah. I don't really know. Not not really that interested either. But he says, thanks and keep up the fun stuff sprinkled with actual information. All right. Thank we you, try Kevin. to sprinkle some information in there. Sometimes it's wrong. We sure do. We sure do. But we try to we keep sure it do. fun also. We always do. We always do. All right. This is from our man, Thomas. Uh, realignment. Que tal, mi amigos? Mis amigos? Uh, he wrote mi amigos, but... Should it be mis amigos? My, my Spanish. I'm not. not I'm terrible. I really know. wish I knew Spanish well. I mean, that's one thing I want to do, but I'm just too old to learn. Anyway, muy bien, Thomas. Muy bien. All right. Uh... Last episode, John Embrea, or maybe is Ketel what's up or how are you? Man, my Spanish is rocking right now. <laughs> I think it is how are you? It's how are you? Um, all right. Last episode, John Embrea reignited the annual debate on realigning the Pac-12's divisions. I think the divisions should stay the same. Why? The current setup is better for dot, 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 recruiting. As a result of the California schools playing each other every year, Washington and the other Northwest programs play Utah, ASU, Arizona, and Colorado more often than they would if the conference schedule was rebalanced. Because Southern California is traditionally seen as the largest supply of potential recruits, such an imbalance is seen as hurting the Huskies and Ducks, among others. But what this also does is ensure that the quartet of Northwest programs play in Arizona and Utah more often, which are fast becoming the most important recruiting hotbeds after Southern California and Hawaii. And that's important because unlike USC and UCLA, the other schools in the South Division are hundreds of miles apart from each other. On the other hand, the Coliseum and Rose Bowl are so close, a recruit's family can watch him just as easily regardless of which school is hosting his team. USC and UCLA, meanwhile, aren't exactly itching to play in the Northwest where there aren't that many alumni or recruits to be had. In conclusion, I think most listeners and fans are too preoccupied with the etiology of the Pac-12's divisional alignment. Whether or not the biggest benefits of current arrangement are unintended consequences misses the mark. Keep up the scintillating work, Thomas. Thomas. So, all right. Um, what does he mean by all that? Um, I think what he's 
getting after is that uh, the Northwest schools actually do get some advantage from this in that they play in Arizona and Utah more often, which also provides some level of recruits. Um, so, so he's pro. Like I, I just I, I wasn't sure if he was pro or con realignment. You know, he does not want us to realign. Okay, but he sounded like he was making like there were some benefits there for like different by. Switching it up, you actually get some different benefits by playing in Arizona and Utah more often. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. I'm not sorry, Tom. It was, it, was, it was a lot of words. It's fine. There's a lot of words. Thomas, you're great. Yeah. We love you. What's up, Thomas? Um, that is what's up, right? What I think. What was he? He wrote a. Uh, how K- are you is Ketal. Ketal is how are you? I thought it was what's up. Okay. I guess I'm wrong. Um State this shit. Maybe it's maybe it's what's up. I don't know. I think it's everything. I think it's like, how how's everything going? How are you? Uh, how are things? You know that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know. I learned the entire Spanish language like twice, and I retain nothing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, David, that's good stuff. Uh, this is from Jamie about stadiums. Uh, while I would never assume you guys would remember anything from your last podcast, particularly one that was recorded after you guys had a few drinks, there was a part where Dave suggested Utah was paying offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig $2.5 million. I like this because he's blaming Dave and not me. Uh, while his contract is worth two- Blame our intern <laughs> well, and con- the man who hired him. Yes. Uh, while his contract is worth $2.5 million, it seemed to apply that was per year, a salary only matched by Dave Aranda at LSU. The $2.5 million was, in fact, over three years, which comes out to just over eight hundred k per year. So, yes, we, we covered that, Jamie, but he wrote in, so I wanted to read it for you. On to the question. Which is your favorite and least favorite stadium you've been to, both inside and outside the conference? Ooh. It's, so, it's like so, like, well... I mean, favorite, it's like hard to like, what's the favorite? Because you saw the best game there or it was the coolest environment or you had the best trip. Um, Inside the conference, I would go best uh, Washington. Yeah. Worst, worst um, Coliseum. Interesting. Um, I mean, I think Washington would be up there. I mean, Autzen could. I still haven't been to the only one I haven't been to is Rice Eccles, which is kind of upsetting. But Rice Eccles is cool. That's up there. For but me. I might go with Colorado just because, like, with Ralphie and the. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Like everything's awesome. Yeah. Um, maybe Arizona. Arizona or ASU would be in the in the bottom tier for me, but that's more of a I, no no offense, Arizona's. I love you guys. More commentary on the state and driving there because I always drove there and it was just driving through a lot of desert. Yeah, like that. But like Cal redid theirs. Uh, Stanford, I love. I mean, Stanford is cool now. Just fifty thousand people. They don't. There's like no bones about it. Uh, you know, Washington State redid theirs. Research is something kind of cool. You know, they're smaller, but um. So yeah, I mean, but and even like ASU, they did you know improvements that I liked. Um, the Coliseum is not great, man. The Coliseum is not great, and frankly, but it's got so much history. It's like if the Rose Bowl wasn't located in Pasadena, underneath some mountains, that would not be up there either. Stadium experiences, I don't like. Like it's hard to get in and out. But now that the Coliseum's renovated, so it's going to look a lot different this year. But I, yeah, it'll have lots of seats where you can't see the action on the field. It'll be cool. It's I, 
like it might go instantly to the bottom for me, depending on what this ta- the tower I think is just a terrible idea. Um, I mean, I guys like you would like it because it's really good for like the high price donors, you know, the one percenter. So <laughs> someone like you would really enjoy that, like the ivory tower marble staircases that the guys that put up ten million dollars. Yeah, they're really good for throwing people off of when the revolution comes. <laughs> <laughs> so people like you might like the tower, but I, me, I'm more of a salt of the earth kind of guy where I just don't feel like that's, uh, you know, that's really what you should be thinking about when you're, you're talking about college football, but whatever. What are you, whatever. You're a dude who calls things washcloths. I'm a man of the people rags, all of them rags. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, thanks for that one, Jamie. All right. This is from Bernie questions. Hi guys. Here are my questions. Uh, for Ryan, Clay Helton's reign at USC, in my opinion, has shown a steady decline since Sam Darnold moved on. That's one year, right? Uh, yeah, one year. Yeah, the math checks out. Okay. Anyway, steady decline, one season. From unexplainable, inexplicable losses to top recruits not showing interest in USC this year, there are fissure cracks in the program, which will affect their one-loss record moving forward. Which leads me to my question. Do you think if USC has a win total of eight games or less this upcoming season, a head coaching change will be made? I'm kind of on the clock. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning toward, and I like that Bernie splits up his questions too. Uh, I'm kind of leaning towards uh, yes. Eight might be, you know, eight, it depends how those eight come. Is there a blowout like to Notre Dame and Washington on the road? And maybe you lose to Utah early. So you start off like three and three. Um, yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance, but there's so much that has to happen between now and then they're going to have a new president coming in. A lot of people I talked to seem to think that they might make a change at athletic director. So I think it's just so hard to say right now, but if I had to, to bet, I would say, uh, yeah, eight games or less, uh, pretty likely eight might be tough, but seven or less, I think he would likely he'd get fired. All right. So Clay Helton will be fired. Um, <laughs> All right, for Dave, I have noticed in the last two recruiting cycles, offensive line coach Justin Fry is starting to make some headway in bringing in linemen. With Sean Ryan in the fold and some 2020 prospects listed as very interested, it seems Justin Fry may be building something sustainable at UCLA. Do you agree with my assessment, or am I being a little too hopeful here? Uh, No, I don't think you're being too hopeful. I think he's very obviously and clearly the best assistant um, that Chip Kelly hired, um, and I think... Kelly properly rewarded him after year one with that OC title, which allows him to be a little bit more involved in the planning as well as doing um, his current offensive line duties. Um, I think the, the thing I'd be more excited about Bernie is the development um, that is, you know, pretty clearly happening. Um, I think with offensive line, yeah, you want to get in a certain number of bodies and yes, you want to, you know, make sure those are talented bodies, but a lot of it, so much of it is what happens to them once they're on campus. Um, and he's already making a ton of strides with guys. Boss Tagaloa went from a defensive lineman to one of the better offensive linemen on the team in a single offseason, and I think you can point to Fry for a lot of that. Uh, Jake Burton, this spring, looked like the best offensive lineman on the team after he was a part-time starter last year, Um, and he's walking into a group that returns four starters from last year. So that's, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Um, So... I think he's got a lot of, of, of skill at teaching, um, at coaching these guys up. Um, and I think that's the part to be excited about. You know, you don't have to 
there was a lot of guys. There were a lot of guys who did not develop um, under the former staff um, for a variety of reasons. But I think you can look to some of that being the individual coach development stuff, and that's not as much of a concern for me anymore. I think Fry is the real deal from an OL coaching standpoint, and that um, you know, if you're looking for signs of optimism um, in the Kelly era, I think that's one of the major ones at this point. Um, right. And then lastly, all right. And then lastly, listening to your last podcast in regards to Pac-12 coach ranking, you both felt Chip Kelly was too high at three, based on last season. But let's say now you are both building programs. All the Pac-12 coaches are available, and you could take turns selecting them from one through twelve, with Ryan winning the coin toss so he could pick first. Who would you select to head and build the programs? Ooh, thanks, guys, Bernie. All right. So if I'm first, I'm taking Chris Peterson. All right. Well, hang on. Let's let's make sure we don't miss anyone. Um, so I'm going to create a quick list. Okay. On our doc. All right. So we've got starting in the north. We have Peterson. It's at the bottom of the doc. Then Leach, Smith, uh, Cristobal, Shaw, uh, Wilcox. Um, what's the new guy? Tucker, uh, Whittingham, Kelly, Helton, Sumlin. And Edwards. All right. So you're saying Peterson, number one. Yeah. I will take Leach, number two. Ooh. Uh, I think I'm going to go David Shaw, number three. Shaw, number three. Uh, at number four. All right. So that leaves Shaw gone. At number four, I'm taking Whittingham. Okay. Now this is interesting. Um. I think I go Kelly here. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, and then after Kelly, I'm going... Cristobal's got the recruiting chops, but I'm liking the cut of Justin Wilcox's jib. I'll go Cristobal. At this stage, I want recruiters. Um, and I'll I'll take... Uh, I'll put Wilcox here. Cool. All right, and then we've got five more... Um, I think at number eight, I'm going Sumlin. Then I'll have to go Edwards. And then I'm probably going Tucker. And then do we want Clay Helton? <laughs> um, There's a clear answer here, but you can decide what you want to do. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll put Clay Helton here. What a homer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> put him 11th. That's a homer. All right, so Jonathan Smith bringing up the rear. So, yeah, I mean... Look, I think you could make an argument for Kelly above Whittingham, but I wouldn't. I mean, right now, uh, look, I think you could still make an argument for him three through five, but I don't. I think this is completely fine and fair. I think Peterson and Leach are both doing a different thing than other people. Leach might be for, you know, pound for pound, the, 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 you know, given the talent he's had to work with at Texas Tech and Washington State. I don't know if he's not one of the best coaches in the country that nobody talks about as one of the best coaches in the country. Peterson has just done it at an elite level at two schools, so he's not going to get dropped from that top spot. Uh, but Leach, I mean, yeah, he hasn't beaten Peterson um, at any, you know, anything. Um, but uh, that's the only reason he's number two in my book. Um, he's beat him at, like, Twitter and stuff, I would say. Yeah, that's true. Um, Press but the other guys... I'm, after that, after that, I think you could make arguments, um, but I'm fine with our, our list okay. here. Well, thanks for that, Bernie. Um, that was good. That was fun, Bernie. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I think Chip Kelly could be third after this year, like depending on what UCLA does, but it just was hard for me at this point. It's 
you know, that Oregon stuff counts, but it's, it's still a while ago. Uh, we got this from Frank in Sacramento. Brew McCoy bounce around. Ryan, perhaps Dave remembers Eddie Norman Vanderdose the fourth in 2013, long before there was Brew McCoy. I think he was, I think he was born then, but, uh, yeah. Sir Eddie committed to USC, signed a letter of intent with Notre Dame and then jumped to UCLA all in the space of one semester in the Bruins season opener in 2015, he tore his ACL and his knee and was ruled out for the season. The Irish all laughed and yelled, Karma, Frank in Sacramento. Why did he link those things? I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think it's he, very... He linked, he, he oddly linked in an email, 2015, and the, the Wikipedia entry for anterior cruciate ligament, ACL. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, that all happened. Um yeah, I mean, I, well, so the 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 only difference, and I'm not even like poo pooing your point here because that whole thing was weird too. Um, the only difference is this is all happening after they signed. Like a lot of guys commit to a variety of schools before the whole process is done. That's normalized at this point. So Eddie, you know, at one point committing to USC, I think it was like the summer before. Uh, his senior season and then deciding on something else. I think he decommitted before he even committed anywhere else, which is a rarity these days. Um, that's normal. Like that's not, that's, that's run of the mill. Uh, what, what McCoy and, and now Chris Steele have done is, is something entirely different, which is like, I mean, the McCoy thing is in a category unto itself. He signed, enrolled at USC, then left, went to Texas, spent some time there, and now is going back to USC without having played a snap of football, without having actually experienced a football season at either school. That's incredible. Yeah. The equivalent would have to be if Eddie Vanderdose went through spring football at UCLA or like fall camp and then transferred back to Notre Dame. Like that's what it would have to be. Right. And and so, yeah, the Eddie thing was weird and that's a whole different deal. But um, McCoy's in a different category, yeah. different a whole different thing. No, we've never seen anything Steel, like it before. Yeah. Steel, it's odd, um, but it's a different thing even than McCoy. I mean, he he signed, and I think uh, apparently if there hadn't been that issue with his roommate, had every intention of staying there. Um, but then, you know, it was the flirting with Oregon and USC this past week. But that's more run-of-the-mill recruiting stuff. Like, I don't – that's not the, – the, the leaving of – what was it, Florida State? Uh, which one was that for – Steel, steel, Florida, State, Florida, right? Florida, right? Um, it was the leaving Florida that's the weird part, but that's you know whatever. But that's a different thing. Yeah. But no, the the, the Brew McCoy thing is that's going to be a uh, that's going to be a story forever. Yeah, that's 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 incredible. We won't, maybe we will not see that again. No. Um. All right. We got hit the day. Wait. Is, yeah. This is. Is this me or you? Or San, uh, this is. I think it's me. Isn't it me? Or is it you? Uh, no, no, it's you. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Ursanthropy, which I believe the study of bears? No that, idea. I think that's right. Let me look at it. Hang on. <laughs> I love it when he tries to stump me. Um, <laughs> There's this Google thing. We can just figure it out pretty quick. Oh, no, no, no. So it's not the study of bears. It's the ability to magically or psychically assume the form of a bear. Oh, yeah. That I mean, I don't know why that doesn't come up more in conversations. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, I see why. I, I understand why now that I'm reading this stuff. Okay. 
Uh, hold the door. You boys are 186 episodes into this podcast, and we're only now learning that Ryan played Dungeons & Dragons coming up. Since he got into USC, I'm going to guess he played a lawful evil paladin and bribed the dungeon master to overlook the alignment conflict. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember. I don't think I was like evil or anything. But I, when I moved, I was like 11 and we moved. Well, to- see, I know this one because I, I, I know things. A paladin can't be evil. Oh. That's, that's the contradiction in terms he's talking okay. about here. I, I wasn't really big into it, but I, when I moved – from Pennsylvania to Massachusetts, like some of the friends I made, they were playing, they asked, they asked me like, I remember like being asked to come join like this party. And I was like, Oh, there's going to be a party. But it was like, they're Dungeons and Dragons, but like join their party of being a member of their party in Dungeons and Dragons. So I, I think probably played it when I was like 11 years old or something, but um, yeah, when I moved, but I, I don't know a what? lot about it. So sorry, sorry, Hitler day. My friend, when he was getting married, um, I was planning his bachelor party. And as so some people like to go to Vegas, right? Some people like to party in Vegas and do the whole strip club thing and, you know, party like rock stars that final few months before they yeah. uh, or whatever, that's what, before they get married. That's what I did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, not my friend. My friend <laughs> wanted to have like the best 12 year old like birthday party ever. And so instead we got a cabin with a bunch of dudes and played board games and Dungeons and Dragons for like three drunken nights in 2016. And I got to tell you, having been on both types of bachelor parties, I'm not sure I wouldn't take that cabin bachelor party 10 times out of 10 over any drunken crowd. Really? It ruled so hard. Like it was like just 12 dudes like just playing stupid nerdy ass games. It was great. I had never played Dungeons and Dragons before in my life. I'll probably never play it again. But it was awesome. That's very fun. Um, no, I, 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 plus you're like in this controlled environment, and the money, you know, you buy a round of drinks at the club or something, and you're like, oh, that's two hundred dollars. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like you could oh, buy yeah. like crap loads of pizzas and and all the liquor you want, and you know, have all kinds of fun games and stuff. And yeah, I, I could see doing that. Like oh, you like rent cool. a place in like Palm Springs or something, and just you know, we went into the woods. We went into like Big Bear, like Arrowhead, something. like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. That's great. All right. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Anyway, <clears throat> last week, David gave a good summary of the complexity of the Mike Juarez situation. I wonder if I could get a similar explanation for some of the other Bruins I was surprised to see transferring out. I can figure out a few on my own, like the multiple four-star receivers who hadn't seen playing time at a position UCLA is pretty deep at. The ones who puzzle me most because those positions aren't very deep are four-star offensive lineman Josh Waraboko Alali, Experienced backup O-lineman Justin Murphy, five-star linebacker Jalen Phillips, four-star linebacker Raheem Johnson, four-star defensive back Colin Samuel. Anyone else I missed with an interesting story? All right, um, so I can go through these ones, but asking for omissions, I don't I don't remember. Um, Waraboko just never panned out. Um, I thought he was probably a little overrated at four-star. I never loved his body coming out of high school. He always looked a little bit a little bit soft, a little bit dumpy to me. He doesn't have the dimensions that you look for when you're like projecting offensive linemen. He already looked like he was pretty much done physically, except looking like a little bit out of shape. Um, and then he never got a whole lot better than that. Um, and uh, when I watched him at UCLA, he always looked a little top-heavy, a little unbalanced, um, and just never really developed. Um, just kind of happens sometimes. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's more of a maybe a misvaluation, maybe a just, you know, the development that people were projecting to happen just never happened. Um, 
Justin Murphy spent a year on campus. It was supposed to be his final year of school. He got back another year of eligibility. Um, but there was some complications with the grad program he was part of at UCLA where it probably wouldn't have been possible for him to stay um, anyway because the the program he was admitted to was a one-year program. So that's why he moved on for his sixth year of eligibility. Um, Jalen Phillips had a number of injuries at UCLA. Um, I believe this was the sort of situation where UCLA was maybe not going to let him play again, or at least for a while, um, as he recovered from certain injuries from a medical clearance standpoint, and I don't think he was willing to wait. Um, I don't know if he's going to play where he is now, which they believe is Miami, um, but I think he had a better shot of doing it there than he did at UCLA, um, just from a, a health standpoint. Uh, Raheem Johnson, I don't know the particulars here. I think this was another case where a guy just didn't quite develop right. Um, Colin Samuel was a more interesting one. He had a, a few really good moments. I think it was two or maybe three years ago um, where he came in and suddenly looked like a lockdown corner. But then I think this is another one where just, uh, you know, development didn't happen. He also got hurt. Um, and I think it might have been a foot injury. Um, and just, you know, got buried a little bit from that. And then I think he's making the decision to, uh, to move on. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's everybody. I think that's all reasonably accurate. All right. Thanks for that one. Hithla day. Um, let's see. Oh, we got, oops, that wasn't a real one. We had a text, uh, message. Um, let's see, this didn't say who it's from and we're not going to go back and look since we're in the off season, Ryan, do you care to give us your favorite three LA restaurants to take your wife out to a nice dinner? I'd ask Dave, but his beard says, quote, fine dining is the opiate of the bourgeois. What is that? Bourgeois, bourgeois, bourgeoisie, bourgeoisie, the bourgeoisie. Okay. Yeah. You're very bougie. Um, yeah. That's what I call myself. So let's see. Favorite LA restaurants. I, you know, I love Lowry's. Like, I don't know if it's like the most romantic place in the world, but it's like we get to go when, you know, for the Rose Bowl game, you go to that. But I like just going in general. Like, it's just, it's just one of my favorite places in LA to go. Um, have you been there? Do you like that or? Yeah, I've been to Lowry's. It's good. Um, hmm. I just don't go. I like. I mostly eat like locally, like in my in the south. Like I don't want to say like something in the South Bay is like you know compare it to something you'd get in Hollywood or something. Um, did you have any favorites when you were back? I mean, I like some things. I don't know how basic they're going to sound, but I like Sugarfish, yeah, the sushi joint. That's good. All the sushi Nozawa places. There's like I don't know three or four of them now. Um what was good what was good i don't know i'm not I, I mean he called me more or less correctly there i don't i generally don't think there's like so much added value to be had at a really nice restaurant as opposed to just like a decent restaurant yeah that it's worth the the upcharge um that you're getting for all that stuff and i don't know like i'm not like a mastro's is off like th that's just a fun experience you know like hopefully someone else is paying which is good you know like if you're going like for some work thing or something um, I, I like great steakhouses like that. They're always fun to go to. Yeah. It's an experience to do it. Um, but that's not like, that's not even my idea of what I'd want to eat. Like I like to do like sushi or, yeah, or something, you know, a little I bit. I just different. haven't been to like an LA sushi place. Like I love the little local sushi places I go to in LA, you know, in, in Hermosa beach. Yeah. But. That's what I'm saying is like, I'll just find, I'll find like a good place that I like near me and you know, Whatever, I don't care. I'll give a shout out um, to uh, 
my buddy uh, Jason, it's right near my house, Barron's. It's actually got it like it was in LA Food Magazine's like top 10 new restaurants and stuff. And uh, it's really good. I think it's Barron's 2239 or something, but uh, really it's it's pretty awesome. And it's like it's a little strip mall like right near my house. Um, but people drive from all over the place to go to that place. So it's pretty good. But I, I, I don't do enough like let's go to LA or Venice Beach and, and go, you know, get these nice restaurants. C and, oh, CNO in Venice is pretty awesome as far as Italian food goes. Have you been there? Yeah, CNO's good. Yeah. CNO's good. Um uh what's good? Rustic Canyon in in Santa Monica. I don't know if you've been there. That's pretty good. Um it's like a wine bar, seasonal kitchen hmm. type deal. I don't know. It's good. Yeah. Um, there's lots of good food, but like if you're if you're sitting there going to some fine restaurant like that, you're probably missing some stuff. Like you should go out and go hit up all the like Korean barbecue places in Cape Yeah. Town. Or you go do that. You go to uh, like those are great. You go up on uh, Fairfax and you get like Ethiopian food in that little district. Yeah, um, or go to like um, what is it like Little Persia and do all the stuff that's like in the middle of Wilshire yeah. down there. Um, and downtown, so the, many, the Mexican, yeah. the Mexican restaurants. Oh stuff. man, yeah. Like what's that yeah, place? Yeah. I forget what the district is called, but it's awesome. Philippe's is awesome. Like the uh, the original. Um, you're talking the uh, the French dip sandwiches. That's a great place downtown. Uh, and Roscoe's chicken and waffles. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Salt. Okay, here's one. Cheap Mexican food that's great. You ready for it? If you're in the Valley, you go to Salsa and Beer. Tell them I sent you. It's great. It's great food. Do it. It's like a dollar sign. You can get great stuff for such little money. Stop spending it on stupid things. Nice. Do it. Awesome. All right, well, thanks for that one. Random text person that we didn't, you didn't leave your name. All right, Alex from Pasadena. Final question. Reasons. Boys, let's pretend I'm a current fan of the Big 12 or ACC or whatever. Give me three reasons each as to why I should switch and follow Pac-12 football and go. Uh, okay, so we have to give, so like this is an Ohio State fan, like why they should want to follow Pac-12 football. Stay up later on college football Saturdays. True. Uh, you want to be able to do that. Um, 500 national championships. It's a big deal. Pac-12 <laughs> is a big deal. Okay. <laughs> um, it's all we got. Uh, Ralphie. It's all we got. Ralphie. Else. Ralphie's good. Yeah. Um, generally better uniforms, I think, than most other leagues. Mm, yeah. Um, <sighs> what else? Quarter- Do you like quarterback play? Good quarterback play. Most years. Not, not last no. year. But some years, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Do you like scrappy underdogs? <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's all we got, Alex from Pasadena. I'm sorry. I mean, the Rose Bowl. How about you? The Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl. Yeah. He's from Crown City. The Rose Bowl. That's what we're going to have to go with. There we go. All right. All right, and then he says, uh, thanks again. You keep being you. Yes, even you. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, we will work on getting... Was it, though? Was it good stuff? I think we had some really good tangents. And uh, Keely just actually walked in the office, and so she'll have to listen to this podcast when I talked about her getting upset when I was going off on tangents. But on this podcast, we can go off on tangents, and that's people we like went that. ten minutes. We went 10 minutes doing we it. We did. 
Um, we talked about the criminal justice system. The criminal justice system. We, that happened. Yep. We talked about whether whether um, life sentences were uh, moral. True. Uh, jumping off bridges. Um, the interfacing of uh, a PC with alien technology in a movie. <laughs> there was a lot of weird stuff we talked about. We touched on all of the important things. <laughs> eateries. Yeah. Lots of eateries. Restaurants. <laughs> great. Reasons that you want to be a Pac-12 fan over something else that we weren't very good at that. That was probably our worst one. Yeah, if you ask us, so the worst thing you can do is ask us something semi-relevant. Yeah, you can ask us something very relevant, and we can handle that. You can ask us something irrelevant, and we'll, you know, we'll at least fumble around with that one for a while. But you ask us something that's semi-relevant, no, no. there's no way, no way. Uh, but send us your uh, your thoughts. Uh, keep leaving the reviews; those were great. Uh, I can't wait at like five reviews since last week. That's crazy. Um, keep doing it. And I hope you guys enjoy the show. David, you got anything else? No, God, no. God, no. Let's be done. All right. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of champions. And we will talk to you next time.